thank you so much for everything that you have done. God, I just pray right now that as we have gathered in your name, that you uplift our hearts through the convicting of our sin, knowing that we have been forgiven and that you love us anyways. God, we are so good at, at, at trying to hide our sins and justifying our sins. We are so good at just thinking it's common practice of the day. God, show our idols, show our pride, show our lust, show our, show our self-righteousness. And maybe run to the cross and just cling to Jesus. That he may work and you may work in us love, hope, and peace simply through faith in your Son. God, we also ask that you be with all the churches meeting in, in all across the world. Lord, there's a lot of things going on in this world right now. And we know, Lord, that you're the one that can conquer it all because you have through Jesus Christ. And that your word will go out unhindered by Satan himself and will make a difference in this world. You through your word, through, Christ, through, the, through working through those who love you, Lord. You can change hearts and reach those people in high places to which we will never be able to interact with, to interact with. But you can through your word. And you can change the hearts of people, Lord. Lord, we pray that you always remind us of that, that we never give up and think that your word will do nothing in our lives or in the lives of others. Help us, Lord, to press on, to keep moving forward by trusting in your, in your Son to deliver your gospel truth to the world and to ourselves. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. amen. So the, the, the gospel message here, which, we, which I talk about a lot, and the one thing, if you ever go away, I want you to say, man, the gospel's spoken about. That's the one thing I want. The gospel message is truly the good news that you and I need to hear every day. It is the, it is the life-giving, restful freedom of empowerment that we need in a world that is so extremely draining, exhausting, and heavy. The life-giving gospel through faith in Christ it says we have all and more than we'll ever need in this world. For he, Christ, has come to set us free from the power of sin and the power of death that held us captive. He has removed the wrath of God upon us and that was waiting for us because of our sin. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he now gives to all who trust in him the full forgiveness of sins, restoration and reconciliation with God, and the right to be called his children, the children of God. All who have faith in Jesus Christ have the favor and the love of God upon them in all things. They have all the spiritual blessings and are now destined to be with God forever in heaven. All of this is given to us not because of any work or deeds that we have done or have not done, nor is it given to us because of works or deeds that we are doing or will do at some point. No, we get this amazing privilege of being loved and cherished by God 
and having him be faithful constantly to us and keeping his blessings and favor and love upon us all through faith in Jesus Christ and his works on our behalf. And even when we are not constantly faithful to him, but fail him, God and his love does not abandon us at all, but rather he just gives more and more of his grace to us. The gospel is good news. For truly, Christ has done it all for us by faith in Him, so we can rest on His finished work for us, for all that we are in this world and all that we'll be in the next. And it is, it is such a perplexing and yet a comforting message, this gospel, that we need to think upon daily. For as we do, natural life-changing consequences come about our life which are empowered by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul is going to speak about then here today in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Our title is Living the Spirit-Filled Life. He is going to speak about the, one of the, the great blessings that we have in Christ that he has freely given to us by faith in him alone. And that blessing is the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us and direct us as we live in this world. So we're going to look at the text and see what Paul has to say about this spirit-filled life and what it looks like. And for our context then, as Paul has just stated in verse 18, he said, be filled with the Spirit. And just to make sure we're clear, what he basically means is that we go by faith to Jesus. When he says, be filled by the Spirit, we go to faith to Jesus We are to identify with him as our everything more and more every day so that we can see that truly we have nothing without him. But with him we have everything. And through relying upon Jesus and growing more and more dependent upon him by faith for our strength, for our wisdom, for our patience, for our love, for our kindness and purpose and direction, and the list can go on and on and on and on. Paul says, consequently... The Holy Spirit, as we do that, which the Holy Spirit, which we already have, will empower us to live a life that will bring honor and glory to God, and He will fill you, He will fill your life with this power in all things. Or put differently, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, will give you the power to begin living radically living a radically holy and obedient life to the Lord in ways that go beyond what you could have thought or even expected. Again, this is not by your power, but by Christ's power, which he achieved for you through the power of the Holy Spirit as we rest, again, in the finished works of Christ on our behalf. This is not a you thing. This is a thing that's been done thing. And going back then to what I just said with giving you the power to begin living a radical, holy, and obedient life to him in ways that go beyond what you could have thought or imagined, I really want to emphasize that part and have that be the header when we look at this passage. Because what Paul begins to list here in verse 19 as the consequence of being empowered to the spiritual life, it's not what most or even what myself would expect as the beginning of a radically holy and obedient life in Christ. 
or at least it wouldn't be the first thought of what that would look like. For Paul says in verse 19 that a life empowered by the Spirit is a life that is addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Now, isn't that fascinating? One of the major consequences of the freed life in Christ, who is empowered by the Spirit, is one who willingly takes part in song to the the Lord with those around them. And that brings us then to our first point. Living the Spirit-filled life is a life full of song. <laughs> now, this, now this verse, it's not something just to glance over then, but a verse that we should take a moment to really dwell on. Because again, Paul here is saying that this is one of the outflows of the Spirit's work and empowerment in our life. This is one of those primary ways of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. The work of the Spirit in our life is having this desire to come together, to gather together with other believers to address them with songs unto the Lord. The power of the Spirit in our life is not a life of isolation from other Christians, but a desire to come together with whatever background or whatever culture they may come from so that we can be encouraged and give encouragement to each other through song. That is just so backwards to what I would expect and what you see in the movies. You would not think that the Spirit... I mean, we'll put it this way. You would think the Spirit-filled life that is free in Christ would be this, would to be this, this missionary to go in an exotic location to strip away all of your comforts. Do you think that would be the Spirit-empowered life? Or to be able to become this dynamic speaker, to give the gospel in all situations with no fear, with no worry, and to have this big Herculean faith that is just, that's just massive in all that it does. Now, the Spirit obviously can empower you to do such things, but that's not the primary mark of a Christian empowerment of the Spirit. Coming together to address each other with song is. The world doesn't want to do that. Christians do. People who love Jesus do. That is one, this song to coming together, that is one, that is one of the works he creates in your life. As you go to Jesus by faith alone to have him be your everything. Right? We say, I say that a lot. This is one of those marks of what that means. You will have this desire and begin to address, to address or speak to other Christians by song through gathering together in whatever context of life. Now notice here, 
Paul says addressing one another and not singing to one another. So why say addressing and not singing? Is he just, is he just realizing and trying to be nice to you because not everyone has lovely voices? Is he just trying to be kind, be like, you know, just make that joyful noise? <laughs> no. The idea here is that our worship songs, that we are, as he says, at the end of verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart is another vital way of communicating and ministering to each other to trust in Jesus more and be comforted by his grace over our lives. That's what it does. That's the goal. For through the words that we are singing in unison to God, the Spirit works to strengthen our hearts, to comfort our minds, and direct our wills to rest in the finished work of Christ. To remember that we have been forgiven and God unconditionally loves sinners such as you and I, even though we fail and sin against Him daily. And through the hearing then, of others sing to the Lord through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we hear the words and have this deep fellowship with each other through the Spirit and to the Lord all at once. That is all grounded and centered upon Jesus. That truly minister to us in ways so deep into our hearts that a standard conversation would not be able to fully do. Let me give you an example of what I mean and how ministering to each other through song unto the Lord is so powerful that simply talking would not fully suffice. It was was when my grandmother, who who was a Christian, on my mother's side, was just on the verge of passing away. Her eyes were closed, and she couldn't speak. Her breath was getting weaker and weaker. You could hear the gargle. All three of her daughters were around her and her loved ones, and I was there holding her hand. Now, in those last few moments of her life here on earth, there was really no words that would do, or at least a common conversation amongst each other that that could really encourage our hearts without seeming out of place. But we were able to speak to each other and minister to each other with the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. For all of us were Christians in that room, and we all sang unto the Lord to remind each other and her that God is always faithful even in death. For as we came to the end of that song, right then, she passed away. And though it was sorrowful, there was great comfort to us all. For we all knew that our God is faithful. And he was faithful to take her home. And he would be faithful to keep us strong in him, even in that hard session of life. Okay, so let me get myself back here. So, real quick. When Paul here speaks then of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the main idea here is that Paul is 
is covering different ways of expressing God's truth from His Word in song unto the Lord that can be used to minister to us and that we will consequently then have this desire to do as we look to Jesus by faith. And if you really wanted to kind of like define what each word is, the ba- and even though there's lots of connection between the two, the basic or between the three, the idea is that Psalms are the Old Testament book of Psalms. Hymns would be songs that are written, inspired from the Word of God, that are circulating amongst the churches, that, that are sung in the congregations, and spiritual songs would be those songs that aren't formally known by Christians, but are known by people, groups of uh, different types that they sing together, that eventually may become a hymn or such. But whatever the case, the goal is that the work of the Spirit will move you to look for opportunities to address others and have yourself be addressed by song through the singing of the truth of His Word unto Him. So then, gathering on Sundays is one of those life-changing natural consequences of placing your faith in Christ because you will want to sing unto Jesus and be encouraged and encourage others to Him. The filling of the Spirit will promote you to have Him manifest His power in your life through song to others with joy in your hearts unto the Lord. That's the power of the Spirit. Paul then moves to another empowerment of the Spirit, which again is not what we would normally expect. But it truly reveals how radically the Christian has been freed from this world. Because it changes his or her perspective on life. Paul says in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now take notice here. What seems so simple is really only possible. Okay, I'm going to say that again. It seems simple is really only possible from being filled by the Spirit. For Paul says two words that really should stretch our minds and see how, how much of an impossibility such a task is without Jesus Christ in our life and His empowerment through the Holy Spirit. And those two words are always and everything. Paul here is very directly covering all things in our life and all times of our life. And this brings us to our second point. Living the Spirit-filled life is a life full of thankfulness. Now again, this statement of being thankful is not a conditional statement. This idea of having a, a grateful heart, a thankful heart to our God, our Father, in the name of Jesus is not just a sum of the time thing. It's not just when things are going good in our life. It's not when things are just going okay in our life. It's not even when things are seemingly boring in our life. Paul here is covering everything in our life. This means even when things are hectic, when things are painful, when things are sorrowful, when trials and hardships are there, even when things are going on that we don't understand that are breaking our hearts. Paul is very bluntly saying that we are to give thanks always for everything to God, 
the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I will admit this seems very strange and hard to comprehend. Because I know when trials hit my life, the last thing I ever want to do is be thankful to God. In fact, I do the very opposite of what this verse states. I question God and I complain to Him. But praise be to God for His gracefulness and loving patience with me. But again, just looking at this text, Paul does not say give thanks most of the time for most things. But always, for everything, give thanks to God. And I know that some of you out there, as with myself, are looking at me perplexed. (laughs) Because some of the things that you are going through is extremely painful, emotionally, mentally, and or physically. And yet, all I can say is that if you go to Christ by faith, the Spirit will give you the right attitude unto God on how to handle it, in order to create a sense of thankfulness with it in some sense or in some way. That is the promise here of this text. That is is what the Spirit will do in your life by looking to Jesus for your everything. He will fill you in this way. Now, real quick, don't think Paul is saying that we have to stay in our pains and trials if there is a biblically way, a biblical way of avoiding it or removing it in a biblical fashion, that's not the point here. What Paul, but the point is that when hardships or pains hit us and we go to Christ by faith with it, the Spirit will produce in us an attitude of thankfulness and gratefulness in some sense as compared to producing bitterness and resentment to God. The world becomes bitter against God when trials come. But the Christian becomes, through the power of the Spirit, becomes thankful unto Him. That is the point. That is the filling of the Spirit in our lives that is so radically different from the world. The world will say, how can you still follow God and what you're going through? And the Christian can say, because he is my God and I'm thankful he is with me. See, through the feeling of the Spirit, we will be able to understand that our God is a loving Father who is watching over us, who gives us grace beyond measure, and whose promises will never fail. We are able then to begin to see our painful situations in a new way and begin to truly believe what Romans 8.28 says. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. The Spirit will enable us to have this mindset of what Joseph said in regards to those who do evil to us. He said in Genesis 50, 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Through the power of the Spirit, we'll be able to see our own weaknesses and failures, as Paul revealed in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, 
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now again, to make sure nothing's twisted here, Paul is not saying that we, that being always thankful for everything means that we are to are not to look for ways to biblically move past them or remove the hardships or pains or woes in our life that we are facing. Paul is simply and bluntly pointing out that the Spirit will produce a grateful heart towards God through the trials or failures to know that He and His grace is greater than the evil or sin. So much greater. So much greater that he can and will work it all out in such a way that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what that outcome is, and all the eyes are upon you saying, what a failure. That whatever it is, it will be used in such a way, as Romans says in 829, that we will be conformed to the image of his Son. Or as Romans 8, 37, that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we can know this and rest in this gospel truth because we come to the God the Father, as Paul says here, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, by looking at the gospel, we can see this truth of being thankful to God in all things. You can see it in action when you look at the gospel. And we can see how it was achieved for us by the cross of Jesus Christ. For the cross reveals the greatest evil that was ever committed in this world. The crucifixion of the perfect one, Jesus Christ. That it was so powerfully and graciously used by God, our Father, to create the greatest blessing that this world has ever seen the atonement for our sins, and the salvation for you and me. The Spirit will empower us to see that victory has already been won for us in Christ through the cross, and that He has conquered the world for us by faith in Him alone. And therefore, we can be thankful for all things in the Lord, for we can be confident that whatever we're going through, it will be used for His glory and our benefit in Him. That is the point that Paul is making here and what the Spirit will fill us with as we go to Christ by faith alone. Then lastly, Paul says one more thing that we would not generally expect in this Spirit-filled life because it's the least flashy of them all. And one of the things that we all struggle with Paul says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Who in the world wants to do that? And this leads us to our our last point. At least it shows, in some regard, 
how truly we need Jesus. Living the Spirit-filled life is a life of willful submission. Who wants that? People we like, maybe. Not with people we don't like. Now this last one, Paul will work out in greater and greater detail in different situations of our life. But for now, his focus is on all of us, no matter who we are or where we are in life. For we all have a type. Okay, there's different degrees and and ways. But we all have a type of submission to each other in the Lord. For the filling of the Spirit in our lives is seen in how we interact with each other. The power of the Spirit is not given to us for personal gain, but is given to us to bless each other by. So the Spirit produces in us this heart of wanting to submit to others by serving them for their benefit and the glory of the Lord. For when we look to Jesus out of reverence for Him, the Spirit will produce in us an affection for each other. This humility and willingness to work together as one body of believers to uplift each other through willfully submitting to fulfill each other's needs by, humbly, by humble service. All because Christ has served us by the cross and has made us His own and given us everything through Him by faith. For the Spirit will remind us that everything we need can be found in Christ and we have it already by faith in Him. So our hearts will be filled with love to want to honor our Lord and Jesus in gratitude by following after His ways of serving each other as He served us. We have been freed then to just give and give and serve and serve for we all have For all the gain and all the acceptance and affirmation we need is found in Christ alone. So that we can willfully submit to our gracefully God-given obligations in the church, in our families, at our jobs, and really wherever we are in life. Through and by His grace alone, we serve each other, not because anyone deserves it. That's why we don't want to do it. No one is deserving but Christ. But we serve because of our reverence for Christ. For He served the needs of us, those who originally rejected Him and actually failed to think about Him a lot. And he even willfully submitted to the needs of those around him who would never finally come to him. For example, in Luke 17, 11 through 19, you can read it. Of the ten leopards that were healed, he came to their needs. He submitted to their needs. Only one came back and thanked him. but he submitted to their needs anyways. So because of him and him alone, we willfully submit to each other 
through serving each other's needs above our own. That's the spirit-filled life. And I know for me, it at least reveals how unspiritual I am. You like to find it in the smoke and the explosions and the fires, the things that everyone can see. So in summary, the spirit-filled life is a life that, admit, that admits its desperate need of Christ for all things because you can't do this on your own. And if you're doing it on your own, you're doing it for your own betterment and self-righteousness. It's our des- it reminds us of our desperate need of Christ for all things. That's what he does. And then he reminds others of their desperate needs of Christ. That's what we do. And through faith in Christ, then, the Spirit works in us to convince our hearts, then, and minds and souls more and more of the finished work of Christ on our behalf, despite our sins and failures towards Him. And through that gospel truth, when the Spirit's telling you, it's finished, it's done, it's done, just look to Him. We then become empowered to live out these truths of song, thankfulness, and submission in our lives and with each other. Because the focus is on Him and not on each other, and not on yourself. For in Christ it is truly finished, finished, so we can rest in Him alone to empower us to do and live far more than we ever imagined. Not just in this extraordinary, but also in the seemingly ordinary, simple things of life. For Jesus has done it all for us by faith in Him. And if we simply rest in Him and rest in His Word, rest in His grace, this is what the outflow will be when we just start saying we submit to the one and only Jesus Christ. He will enable us to do things that we just thought could not be possible. I read this quote the other day. I'll end on this. I believe it's by Richard Sibbs. Let us not limit God by by looking to our own limitations. Let us not limit God by looking to our own limitations. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your grace. God, there's so much to do, but as long as we trust in your Son, it's been done, and you will empower us to do it. You said that the good works are laid out already, that we may walk in them. Lord, you're the one that empowers us to do all things. And Lord, when we fail, you just pick us right back up and say, it's okay, I love you, keep going. And you lead us, you're the one that that, that treaded the path We're just following there, Lord, and you haven't left us. You will never leave us. God, I pray if someone doesn't know that today, that they come to know it right now, that you love them and you sent your son to die for them so they can know you and trust in you and be empowered and know the forgiveness and grace and hope and joy that there is in in you. Lord, I know there are people here that, may, that are struggling with sin, struggling with relationships, struggling with their life circumstances. Lord, Lord, go to them, remind them that your work can get out all in their favor so that they can know you. Help them see eternity in those finite moments of pain. God, I pray that you also encourage all of us, Lord, to flee from our sins. We all struggle with sin 
to know that we have, that the sin has been conquered. And we just simply need to rely upon you. Thank you, God, for being so merciful and gracious to us. Thank you for sending your son to finish it all. In Jesus' name, amen.